Our text today comes from 1 Peter chapter 4. But before we get to the text, I want to define what I mean by church and engaging the church and how I want us to approach being a part of the church. The church is described several different ways in Scripture. Um, it is, it, it's called the bride of Christ. And in this illustration, Christ is in glory, preparing to come down and rescue his bride. And the bride is everyone who uh, has a saving relationship in Christ. And so that's the, the global church, right? So everybody who's ever surrendered their life to, to Christ or to God in the Old Testament, right, through, through atonement and all of that, we are the bride of Christ and he is, he is refining us by his Holy Spirit, but one day he's going to come and he's going to come and come and get her. And that's why it's so important. That's why we talk about living holy and righteous lives because we want to be ready for him on the day that he, that he, that he comes. Um, you know, it's kind of like on the, on the year leading up to a wedding or shorter, um, you know, depending on you know, I couldn't wait to marry Megan. So we, we were on like the fast track and, you know, um, but you know, leading up to it, it's like, oh, I better get right. You know, I better lift, you know, lift weights. I better fix my diet. I better, you know, buy some new clothes. I better like get right so I can be ready on the wedding day. Right. And then once you get married, you let it go a little bit. And that's not how it works with Jesus. I'm just saying all analogies fall apart at some point. So <laughs> what I am saying is we are preparing for Christ. And, and one of two things is going to happen for you. One, you're going, your life here will, will end, your physical life will end, and you'll, be, you'll stand in front of him in judgment. Or two, he's going to come back. And we all get to go back at the same time. And so, we're, we, yeah, we got to be ready. We got to be ready. So we're preparing ourselves. But like we said about baptisms, it's not about our performance that makes us ready. It's about being in Christ that makes us ready. And so I'm in Christ and that's what, that's what prepares me. That's what qualifies me as part of the bride. It's kind of a humbling thing, right, men? Like like we're the bride in this illustration. It's kind of messed up to us because we don't understand it well. But, um, but, but as a part of the bride, I'm being, I'm being worked on, I'm being sanctified, I'm being uh, perfected by faith for Christ. And so that's why, it's, it, that's why we, we encourage you to stop, you know, smoking. And we encourage you to stop drinking heavily, right? Like have a glass of wine, but don't have eight glasses of wine. You with me? Okay, okay, I don't know. <laughs> Golly, thank you. Your check's in the mail for that Amen. Um, <laughs> put that guy on staff, right? Everybody needs one. There was this guy, Eric White. He was one of my mentors growing up and he sat in the front. He looked like Samuel L. Jackson. He was a collegiate pole vaulter. So he was muscular and just like, you know, and he was, he was a mentor of mine, but he sat in the front. He'd say glory like this. And I knew church was happening. If he was saying glory, everything was right in life. If he was, if he was saying glory, I knew pastor was getting it. And um, even if I didn't understand what was happening. So it's like, I don't understand what he's saying, but Mr. White, he's in it. So this must be really deep stuff. Um, the greatest surprise. Remember, you, I don't know if you were there. I was at Duke University at a conference with our Every Nation family. And, um, you know, I was enjoying the conference. And Pastor Brett actually spoke at that conference. And then sure enough, you know, I'm way back in the nosebleeds, back two rows, and I hear, glory, and I see these hands up in the air, and I was like, he's here! That means God's here too! We, it's funny, the cues we look for. We're talking about the church, though. 
the church is not a building. It's a people. And uh, it is the bride of Christ. It's the means through which God blesses the world. We are a source of blessing to the world. We're a source of blessing to one another. He doesn't just save us and set us off by ourselves and be like, hey, congratulations, you're saved now. You and I are going to have a really close relationship. Um, and they're going to have a really close relationship with me, but you're not to know each other. It's quite the opposite. He's like, welcome into this relationship with me. Let me introduce you to your new family. Amen. Okay, and so this is how he functions, and, and this is what he does. And so one of the things, I'm, I'm kind of glad that we don't have a building because if somebody asks you, what church are you a part of? You can't say that church in Chantilly. You can't say it's that building off of Route 7. You can't say that. It's that building off of Augusta, you know, the one with the steeple or the one next to the one with the steeple. (laughs) You know how that works, right? (laughs) But But you can't say any of those things. And that actually makes me really happy. So I just wanted to coach you all that if somebody asks you, what church do you go to or what church do you, you know, how do they ask? What church do you go to? Or do you go to church? I would love it if we said something more like, I'm a part of Grace Covenant Church. Right? Not like I go to Grace Covenant Church because I go to Grace Covenant Church is like, oh, the church is over there. Instead of I'm a part of Grace Covenant Church, which means like my church is being represented right here in this conversation. You with me? And so if we could just start to adopt some language like that, I think that it'll, it'll help us understand what we're really a part of, but I think it'll also speak very, very, a very deep truth to the people in our lives because I don't go to church at Dominion High School. I worship with my church at Dominion High School, right? And so, and go ahead and call it my church, meaning your church, not Pastor David's church, right? Go ahead and adopt that. Or, you you know, if you want to be like theologically correct, you'd be like, it's God's church, but I'm a part of, right? Whatever. (laughs) I am a part of Grace Covenant Church is the right way to answer that question. And I hope you're taking notes because I don't want to forget what we're talking about. Like, that's really huge. I think that's almost like, so when you get inducted as a member of Grace Covenant, there's a membership covenant, but then we have the Sterling Pact, right? The Sterling Pact is you're not allowed to leave without talking to some people first who are going to tell you about yourself, right? Right? Because like, you know, it, it, you know how it is, JC. It's like, you, you're like, you sign all the documents and everything else. And it's like, I'm just going to stop going because JC's mean to me. You know, not JC, Dave, Pastor David was mean to me, but don't just leave. Like people vote with their feet is how we say it. But the, the Sterling pact is, no, I'm not going to leave without talking to somebody who's going to tell me the truth, not the person that's going to agree with me. Right. The Sterling pact is that we we're going to bring up the issues in our life when we smell smoke, not when we see a blazing fire. Right. Cause that's not in the membership covenant. It's just, it, that's the Sterling pact. And smelling smoke is like, man, I've been fighting with my wife for a month, and, and it's real tense. A full-blown fire is, hey, can you show up at court tomorrow? We're getting divorced, and we need some help. Yeah. What? I didn't even know there was smoke. And so if you could, bring it up when you smell smoke. Because oftentimes when it's a full-blown fire, it's, it, it, it's a lot harder to make things right. And that allows us the privilege of being um, being Christ to and for one another. So we don't have a ton of time, but what we're going to do is we're going to jump into 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going we're to look at verses 8 through 11. 
And I'm just going to make an observation, uh, four observations about how God has called us and instructed us to walk with one another through, uh, through this letter that Peter wrote. So 1 Peter is a letter written from the, the disciple named Peter. He, um, he wrote this letter to churches that were being dispersed throughout the ancient world. And these letters were passed around among the churches and they would read them out loud for encouragement and training and, and correction just to get everybody moving in the same direction. Figure out how do I live this Christian life? How are we supposed to interact with each other? How are we supposed to love one another? How are we supposed to, to uh, what traditions do we take on? What ceremonies do we take on? How does this work? If anybody understood persecution, it was Peter. He was beaten threatened and punished and jailed for preaching the word of God. And he knew what it took to endure, to to fight through without bitterness or losing hope. He knew how to maintain the faith. He knew how to be obedient. He knew how to live a victorious life. And he's sharing this insight and wisdom that he gained from walking directly with Jesus and that that the Holy Spirit was, was using him to guide and direct the church at that time. The knowledge of this hope in Jesus Christ um is really is really the primary thing that he's passing along to the church. I believe that Peter was so willing to endure persecution uh, because he saw Jesus endure persecution and suffering for the sake of righteousness. And so as a good disciple, Peter's going, I saw Jesus do this, and he did this for the sake of righteousness. He did this for the sake of the church, so I should do the same. Because that's what a disciple does. A disciple doesn't watch his leader and go, oh, that's the way he did it, but I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to do it my own way. But he takes on the values and the priorities of his mentor or of his teacher and and follows in that same way. Um, You know, as as believers in in this age, we, we do the same thing. We still believe in making disciples. When I see JC and Keith Temple and other elders serving faithfully and staying late and moving cases and packing stuff up, I'm like, oh, maybe I can do the same thing. Maybe I should do the same thing. When I see elders and in, in, uh, pastors who are older than me and have gone before me serving and, and picking up trash in the parking lot and, and doing various things and praying with people late and waking up early and reading their Bible and doing these kinds of things, I think, oh, maybe those are the things that I should be doing. Peter followed in the example of Jesus the same way that we are to follow in the example of Jesus as we see in other people. As believers, we're beneficiaries of an amazing grace. In Jesus, our death is exchanged for life, our sorrow for joy, our loss for heavenly gain, and so on. We haven't been saved to ourselves, but we've been saved to a community of believers. And God instructs us how to live with one another. And one of the places he does that is this passage of scripture. So join with me in reading 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as the one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as the one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that everything, uh, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Jesus, help us as we study. So I've got four points that I want to point out 
taken from this passage that we are to love earnestly, we are to love redemptively, we are to love joyfully, and love selflessly. Love earnestly. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Last week I talked about how it is great news that we don't define love. Because the making of our, uh, the definition of our own love or the making up of love of our creation would be fickle. And it would last about as, as, it would be about as steady as our emotions are. I like you when I like you. And I don't like you when I don't like you. I'll endure with you as long as you don't cross me the wrong way. But this, this earnest love, in order to love this way, we need to first take hold of the love of Christ and, and accept it and walk in it and joyfully let it transform us and change our priorities and change our lives. And then as we, as we allow it to do that, we'll find that it begins to pour out to other people. And it's going to be the same kind of love. We're to love each other, not sometimes, not partially, not occasionally, not when it's convenient, but earnestly. The Greek word that they used to describe this earnest love is etkenes. And um, it means intent, constant. Here we go. Strenuous, intense, constant, earnest, and zealous. This, um, it's closely tied to etkenes, um, which means holy out. It's like all out, everything into it, leaving nothing out, withholding nothing kind of love. To stretch maximum potential without slack, fully extended to its necessary outcome. That's the kind of love with which we're supposed to love one another. It's an I'm not quitting on you kind of love. It's like, you can yell at me, but that's okay. I understand that you're having a tough moment kind of love. You ever had a kid say, I hate you. No one admit it. (laughs) Me neither. I I just read about it one time. (laughs) Parents that aren't as good as me would, would experience that kind of rebellion in their own household. Just kidding. Yes, I said it to my parents and my kids are saying it to me and their kids are going to say it to you and we're all ignorant. Right? You're not going to aim in the ignorant. Good job. But when your child loses their cool and, and like flips a lid and starts saying things they don't mean, as an adult, you know that they don't mean what they're saying. If you're mature, it's not going to hurt your feelings. It's just going to be like, you're really mad about those Skittles. (laughs) And I just said, wait till after dinner. (laughs) You're with me a little bit, right? It's like you're flipping your lid, but you're young and immature. You don't understand, but they're just in the moment. And right now they're mad. And so that must mean that they hate you. No, that's not what that means. It means they're mad. But when they're like that, it's, it's not like, well, you hate me. Well, I'm done loving you. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm keeping your Skittles. <laughs> it's, oh, you don't know what you're saying, but I'm not quitting on you. 
and I'm going to keep loving you until you realize that this kind of love doesn't fail. This kind of always and forever love, this kind of not quitting, persistent, stretched to the max kind of love creates an environment where we can, we can learn about God, we can understand the purposes of God, we can walk in and accomplish these purposes of God. Which is how love covers a multitude of sins. We're to love redemptively. Who hasn't been afraid to confess a sin to someone? For lack of, or for fear of being rejection, rejected. Haven't all of us at one point or another had a point of struggle or had this thing that we didn't want to admit to somebody in church? See, this is really awkward because I'm calling everybody out at the same time. But let's just agree to be really awkward together, right? Has anybody in this room not sinned? Okay, great. So we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do we agree on that? Okay, great. And if you're a guest, you can just stay quiet and... This is for members and people who call Grace Covenant their church at home. <laughs> you got to give your money and we'll call you sinners. Um, <laughs> what, I, what I'm trying to say is that when, when love is in question, we'll hesitate to open up and be vulnerable and admit our weaknesses, to admit our sinfulness and to admit our struggles. Who, like, and, and that's one of the tragedies in the church is that when we don't properly understand the love of God or we're with people who don't properly understand the love of God, we, we shut down and we lose out on the benefit of being a part of the church. This, this confession to one another of sin is to be something that is redemptive in nature. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, it, it says go hide in your sins. Don't tell each other what happened. You'll get kicked out of the group. No, that's not what James 5, 16 says. It says, therefore, confess your sins to another, to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. The purpose of confessing sins isn't to heap guilt and shame on a person. It's to take the heap of guilt and shame off of a person. Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. I've always read it as come all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I pictured like a really peaceful Jesus, like I'll make it easy. But I, but I did a little word study on it uh, just this morning because this was on my heart. And he says, come. It's like, it's like a command. It's like an exclamation. He's saying, come to me. If you're weary, if you're heavy laden, if you're under the weight of sin, you're under the weight of death, you're under the weight of shame, you're under the weight of guilt, come to me. And then he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now the burden that, that we often carry is one of, I need to be good enough for God to accept me. And he's saying, nope, don't take that one. I've been good for you. I've been perfect for you. Wear this instead. I need to make garments of righteousness. No, 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 no. Wear mine instead. Yours would wear out anyway. Yours wouldn't make it through rush hour traffic. <laughs> wear my garment of righteousness. No, you can't pay for your sins. Let me pay for that for you. 
says, my, my, yoke, my, burden, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The thing that you need to carry, the thing that I'm asking you to hold is belief that I can do it on your behalf and that I have done it. And then we walk in the freedom of that. So instead of being like, oh man, I can't smoke a joint. Oh man, I can't eat those ribs. Oh man, I can't eat those nachos. Oh man, I gotta get my wife something from Valentine's Day. Oh man. You know, instead of feeling the weight of all of these things, I know that Christ has, has, has perfectly, has made me perfectly acceptable in the sight of God. So I'm like, man, I'm a son of the most high. I don't have to smoke a joint. I don't have to go after those prescription drugs. I don't have to go to a bottle. I don't have to go to the internet. I don't have to go to this. I get to love my wife. I get to parent my kids. I get to teach them how to pray. I get to do this. I get to live in the fullness of acceptance of God. And so even if I mess up, oh, so a, a, a treadmill wasn't the best Valentine's gift for my wife. I'm accepted by Jesus. <laughs> what, Jesus? I shouldn't have gotten her a dishwasher. <laughs> I'm still accepted by God even if, even if I fail in other areas of my life is what I'm saying. And I was hinting to you gentlemen. <laughs> if you've got a dishwasher hidden in your basement today, <laughs> you better be doing those dishes by hand for a minute <laughs> take it back <laughs> we have to love redemptively uh, the love covering isn't a picture of, of hiding from fear or keeping secrets it's that when we expose it to the light, the, the healing balm of the Holy Spirit can properly get to it and bring wholeness. You know, if you hang around long enough, you're going to get hurt by a whole lot of different things. Somebody in here is going to hurt your feelings. You know, maybe a lot of people in here are going to hurt your feelings. I hope not, but... You know, in, in, in a multi-ethnic church, man, we're striving, you know, like we're like, it's easy to get offended. You don't know that you cross a cultural barrier. You just stumble across something. You say something that you didn't realize was offensive or you ask a question you didn't realize was offensive. That's, it's going to happen. That's, but, but if we're the church, that's where we should be able to make these mistakes. Amen. And the kind of stretched out, never failing, always and forever love just covers that. It's like, hey, I know that you love me. It doesn't mean that we sit down hard in our, in our ignorance. We've got, to, we've got to learn, right? So I can't get my wife a different uh, dishwasher every year. Oh, she didn't like Maytag. Get her a Whirlpool one next year. But we've got to catch on to the reality of of. the kind of love that goes out of our way, the kind of love that sacrifices our preference, the kind of love that puts others first, the kind of love that understands and forgives. This kind of love doesn't, doesn't say, okay, great, I see you in your sin, stay just the way you are. Either it says, come on out of that sin and let me walk with you. It says, the grace of God is beautiful. Let me help you walk in the fullness of it and not just stay captive to the thing that entangles you. We're to love joyfully. 
show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality was different then. It wasn't, it wasn't planned out. You know, we, we planned to have donuts out. We planned to have water and coffee. And we, we planned to have these things. And we've got a few days to like make sure that everything's in place and the people who are serving are in place. That's not the kind of hospitality this is talking about. This is talking about uh, the kind of hospitality when somebody is traveling through your area and they stop at your door without telling you because they didn't have cell phones to text each other and to ignore that they didn't they pretend they didn't get right? They, they, they didn't have that kind of call. Ahead. They didn't have the ability. So somebody could just show up at your door and, hey, brother, <laughs> I'm passing through. Can, can you welcome me in for the day or for the week as I make this journey? Do you have refreshment or nourishment or you know, something for me? This kind of uh, love was, was the kind of love that tests. This kind of hospitality was the kind of hospitality that tests. Um, we need to be prepared to love spontaneously. Because that's the, that that is this kind of love, you know. It's one. It's easy to love somebody when you're when you're planning on it, like you're going over to your in-laws, you're going over to a friend's house, and you know that person's going to be there. So you're like, <laughs> I can take it. I can do this. All right. So how many how many hours? With four hours, I was ready for two. Right, but we can kind of gird up for a moment and be prepared. But this is the kind that says, hey, here's the, here's the pop quiz. Somebody shows up at your house, they need something. Can you be hospitable to them? This is not a cue to show up at somebody's house and demand dinner, right? So just so we're hearing this correctly, I'm not telling you to show up at my house and test my love. Um, <laughs> my love is not perfected yet. I'm, this sermon is... <laughs> This sermon is, is for me as much as it is for everybody else. Just a just kind warning. <laughs> I'll give you $5 and a high five. I think McDonald's. <laughs> just in case we think this kind of love is limited to people in our congregation or Grace Covenant Church or Every Nation Ministries, the word that's used for hospitality is uh, philo xenos, which is made up of two words, philos, which means friendly, and xenos, which means guest, stranger, foreigner. So this is friendly to a foreigner. This is hospitable without, being, without, without holding a grudge. This is hospitable with joy, even to somebody that you, is a stranger that you don't even know. So it goes beyond just the people that we know and love and have kind of an obligation to sh- demonstrate love to, to strangers and people off the street. It's remarkable, isn't it? I want to warn you that there is a hospitality that's not righteous. There is a, there's a hospitality that is sinful. And I believe that that's the hospitality that comes with grumbling, that comes with complaint. It's only out of obligation. Or the kind of hospitality that's used to puff up yourself and to give yourself status instead of to give status to God. There's a sermon that is sinful if it's used to prop myself up. There's a prayer that is sinful if you're trying to be heard by your many words and trying to be remarkable to people. There is, there, is a, a, there is not a love that's selfish if it's proper or that's sinful if it's real love. But imitation love is sin when we're in it for our own comfort and we're in it for our own way and we're in it for our own promotion. 
We should love joyfully. And then lastly, we need to love selflessly. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Now, I'm really excited about this point because everything else so far has dealt primarily with attitudes and philosophy and worldview. It's how you approach situations in your heart and your mind. This one is both a heart-mind thing, but it's also a very practical uh, very practical thing that, that it comes with a practical outworking. One of the things that God desires to do through the church is demonstrate his manifold wisdom, his multifaceted, his diverse wisdom to rulers and authorities and throughout the whole world. And one of the ways he does this is he gives out different gifts, skills, and abilities. He calls it varied grace in this way. So the varied grace of God means that he pours out his grace and it provokes uh, various but unified response. So the grace of God gives one person one way and graces another person another way. And then when you have all these different people being graced by God and different gifts that they're walking in, you put these group, this group of people together and now all of a sudden you've got a body that's functioning and forming and moving forward. It was really funny. And when I started the campus ministries a number of years back, a number of years back, all I did is draw people who were like me at first. And it was weird because we could only do certain kinds of things, which mostly meant spontaneous, crazy, random, brash, loud things. We didn't have varied gifts. And so Karen Montgomery joined the team and brought administration and some other things. And that kind of violated my non-administration, but it was good because now all of a sudden, now, in, right now, all of a sudden we're going, we threw this huge birthday party one time for the campus with like two days notice. And she's like, yeah, you can't really do that. And I'm like, but it was awesome. And she's like, yeah, but we, it's not sustainable. Eh, sustainable. Right? But, but, so we, we help each other when, when, we're, when, when we're walking in our varied grace because it provokes a unified response and now we can do something that we weren't able to do by ourselves. Um, God has graced and gifted you for things that I'm not gifted and graced for and vice versa. The final test of whether our love is genuine is if you prefer your own needs above others or if you prefer others above your own. He says, he basically, in a sense, um, use it to serve one another as good stewards. So to be a good steward of the grace that you've been given, of the gifts that you've been given, of the strength that you've been given, is to use it to serve other people. So that, that good voice that you have, it's not for you. Your sense of humor, it's not just for you. Good administrator, that's not just so you can make a dollar for you. Are you a good cook? That's for me. Right? I'm just saying, if you're a good cook, if what is your skill set? If you're good at making money, that's not just for you. It's so that you can advance the kingdom through your ability to make money. If you're, if you're a gifted singer or musician, it's not just for you. I'm glad you like the way you sound in the shower, but, but the whole congregation, the, the community could benefit from your voice or your skill set. I think I sound great in the shower. I'm talking about people who can really sing. You do certainly get to enjoy the benefits of the gifts that you've been given. But the best use of your gifts is to focus its energy on others.
I'll close by saying that there is not a gift from God that exists that cannot find expression in the kingdom. And by extension, we're committed to helping you find ways to express your giftedness. Whatever it is. And if you're not sure where you're strong or what you're gifted at or how, what you're good at or how God's graced you, then let's just step out and try some stuff and fail a little bit until we figure it out. And then, you know, if after a long time we can't find a place, we'll find a place. Maybe it's not at Grace Covenant Sterling. But we won't know unless we try. And so I would encourage you If you're not serving, serve. And let the church experience the benefit of God's grace on your life. Let the community experience the benefit of God's grace on your life. We actually, we've got Spanish translation now because some people were willing to step up and serve. But that means that we're going to have people in our congregation who don't speak English well enough to maybe have a conversation with you about deep, matters. And so if you're bilingual, there's a place for you. If you don't speak English well enough and you're on translation today and you hear me saying this, I don't, you don't need to speak English to be a greeter. You don't need to speak English well to be, a, to be an usher. You don't need to speak English well to, to be on the worship team. You don't need to speak English well to, to serve and to be a vibrant and vital part of this congregation. Are you with me? So whatever the thing is that thinks this quality, that you think disqualifies you from being a, a helpful joint that supplies, I promise you it's probably more accurately going to be a strength of our congregation than a weakness to our congregation. And so I invite everybody, please try and find a way that you can, that you can serve. And if you don't know how, just, just walk up to me and say, hey, I want to serve, but I don't know where. And I'll take your email and then we'll get in touch with you and we'll probably, we'll have a class or something. We'll do a a volunteer fair or something like that. We'll find a way to get you plugged in. Are you with me? This life we live, the things we do, the way that we live together, it doesn't just represent us. It represents Christ. That's why this whole this whole passage you know concludes with this celebration that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ because that's where all the glory and the dominion belong in the first place amen